You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning. Welcome to the One Church TO Live family watching online, and welcome to the Agent Court Pentecostal Church family. Glad you're here this morning. You know, friends, as we think of this series, and uh, by the way, wasn't worship just awesome today? Like, uh, wow, that last song, I needed to hear. Uh, we are all carrying something, as Pastor Matt said, and sometimes you just need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Uh, that's where we're going today. But listen, if this is a, you're part of a series called It's Okay to Be Different. Really? Ask yourself, is it really okay to be different? Because it sure doesn't feel that way. Like, you know, why is the pressure? Why do we feel so much pressure to conform? We feel so much pressure uh, to conform into something that looks like sameness. And so we avoid being different almost at all costs, right? Yet when I think of the heroes, some of the heroes of my life, some of the heroes of society, when you look through the people who change culture and society, most of them are people who zagged when everyone else was zigging. They were the people that were different. They were the ones running in when everyone was running out. They were the ones selling when everyone else was buying. They always seemed to zag when others were zigging. Now, the brilliance of these people is often lost on us in the moment. They're just different. It's only in hindsight you see like, wow, how did they do that? And so we have culture setters, people like, you know, Steve Jobs and Mark, Mark Zuckerberg and the guys who started Google, Larry Page and, and Sergey Brin. And we have these people who've changed culture and society, but at one point in time, they were the ones who were different. I'm fascinated by people that are different. Not so much how they did, because I've noticed in, if you've read blogs or you're on the internet, you see people all the time trying to get to the key. What made them special? And so they look at what did they eat for breakfast? What, how did they run their day? And they're trying to analyze it. Why? Because we want in on that greatness. But you know, I'm not that interested in the how they did it, because some of it's way over my head. But I'm fascinated with the why. What gave them the courage and the strength to not conform? What gave them the courage and the strength that when pressure was on, to not accept the accepted norms of the financial industry or the accepted norms of the, the IT industry or, in my industry, the accepted norms of, of the church industry, for lack of a better term. What gives people the strength to zag when other people are zigging? I'm interested in that. Why? Where does that type of strength come from? It made me think of somebody I went to high school with. His name was Rory Curry. Uh, Rory Curry was a great guy, but he was different, very different. Not because he looked particularly different, because he didn't. Not because he came from a particularly different type of family, because he didn't. It wasn't because he was particularly different in his educational pursuit, because he wasn't. But he was different. Listen, when we were in the cafeteria with our bag lunches, hanging out and having fun, Rory was running stairs in our high school and running laps in the gym. When we were just getting out of bed, barely making it to high school on time, Rory had already been to the track, showered, eaten, and gotten to high school. Now, he had to resist a ton of pressure to conform 
in order to live that lifestyle. He had to resist what I call, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you experience both of these types of pressure in this world. There's aggressive pressure and there's passive pressure. And Rory encountered both. See, we were his friends, so when he was walking by the cafeteria on his way to run stairs, we'd be like, Rory, come on in. Come on in. He was with us, but he was different from us. He was zagging while we were zigging. And he would walk by, he'd wave, and he'd walk by and he'd go run stairs by himself. Uh, Sometimes there's aggressive pressure we feel. People call us out. I think sometimes the more difficult pressure is the passive pressure we can feel. See, those times where he would walk by that cafeteria and he'd see us having fun. He'd see us making connections. He'd see us checking out all the cute girls. And he had to keep on walking. And that inner fortitude to be different despite what the accepted norm was around him. Man, I'm fascinated by that. How was Rory able to be different, especially in high school, when really there's even extra pressure to conform? Well, he had a vision of something bigger and better. See, he, he had it in his mind. He was going to run in the Canada Games. He was going to run the steeplechase and the 3,000 meter in the Canada Games. That was in his mind. I found this picture of Rory online this week. This is Rory now. Uh, somehow, I lost my hair and he kept his. <laughs> I like him a little less. <laughs> Rory was being inducted into uh, a track and field hall of fame because he not only went to the Canada Games, he medaled. He medaled in the Pan Am Games. He set records that still stand today. He uh, became an all-Canadian athlete, full ride, went on to do great things. He zagged when others were zigging. He had to pay the price now for something that was future would be bigger and better. You know what he knew that sometimes we forget? That when you know you're a part of a bigger and better future, when you know that you're a part of a bigger and better future, you'll find courage to be different. You don't mind being different now if you know it's leading to a bigger and better future in our present, smaller and more challenging present. This is what's distracting often and why people live such small lives. It's because we all face challenges. We just prayed about it. Every one of us faces challenges. And sometimes it's kind of like when you're at work. Have you ever noticed that the priority items don't get touched because there's more immediate, urgent items? So you ignore what is priority because it's not yelling at you. Instead, it's the priority and immediate, it's the urgent, immediate things that get done and not the priority things. And in the end, we end up hurting our future. See, Rory understood that you needed to have a vision bigger than the moment in order to have the courage to be different, to zag when everyone else was zigging. So today, I want to talk about that courage. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 15, or if you're online, you can go to the Bible notes that are provided there. You can look on your phone if you're in this room. Because in this culture and world, As Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, and if you're here or online and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here for this message. Listen in, because you really should count the cost before you follow Jesus. You really should. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen in. Listen, when we encounter Jesus, we have to answer the question, who is Jesus? And the frustrating thing about Jesus is this. He makes some pretty audacious claims as to who he is. 
In other words, he takes away from you and me the ability to pigeonhole him just as having been a great teacher. Or uh, uh, Jesus was a great leader or a great caregiver. Jesus is all that but so much more. He made some audacious claims. Jesus claimed that he was the son of God, that he was God, that he actually came to this earth, not to lead, not to just teach. Those are things he did. But he came to save. He came to be a savior. And that everyone who placed their faith and trust in Jesus, what Jesus does is he adopts us into something big. He adopts us into his family and into his plan. So friends, when we decide to follow Jesus, when we, when we invite and put our trust in Christ, we're adopted into something so much bigger than, and better than what we are presently living. We are adopted into his family. Amazing. This incredible global family of people who follow Christ, those who have been and those who will yet to be. And we're invited into his plan. That's why Christians should look different. Why, that's where we find the courage to zag in the culture when other people are zigging. That's where we find the courage to be different and to be okay with different, being different. As a follower of Jesus, our lives should be different. We should have different values, different ethics, a different level of generosity, a different level of compassion. We should have a different type of forgiveness in a culture. And I've never, you know, all my years on this planet, I've never seen such an intensity in our culture to have everybody conform. Uh, the message of the culture is celebrate differences, but no, it's not really. It's conform. Think like us, act like us, believe like us. And if you don't, you're out. It's never been harder to be different than it is right now. And yet Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And interesting, it's to live a life that is so attractive because it is different that people are attracted to the person of Jesus. So in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to look at one of the great heroes in Scripture who always consistently was zagging when, other, when it would have been easier to be zigging. And his name is Abraham. I'm going to read a little bit of his story here, and then we'll see some on the screen. But uh, Abraham is a man who developed great courage from looking beyond himself at the bigger and better future that was ahead. Here's what it reads. It says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then it says this, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, Look up. Friends, you might be in the middle of what seems like a dark night of the soul, a middle of not seeing God come through to you, and maybe the message God gives to Abram is one that you need to hear today. Look up. Look up into the sky. Count the stars if you can. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. 
And Abram, this is so key, believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, Abraham is fascinating. The journey with God actually starts a few chapters earlier. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to him. And every time God speaks to him, and I'm going to give you two things God says to him today. And this will help us as we attempt to live differently in a culture and a world that wants us to conform. And But he says two things. And in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, get out. Get out. Now, n- nobody leave. <laughs> but he says, he commands them to get out. See, Abraham was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And it's in modern day southern Iraq. And God came to him and he says to him, get out, Abraham. Get out of your people. Get out of your country. And get out of your family. Leave your people, leave your country, leave your family. He says to Abraham, leave everything that is familiar to you. Everything that is familiar to you. Go to a land I will tell you about. And the book of Hebrews says that Abraham went not knowing where he was going. Friend, to follow Jesus means to live a life where you leave. Where you get out. We're called to get out. And we're called to leave, just like Abraham did. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to leave and to get out. Let me ask this question, friends. What has God asked you to get out of? What has he asked you to leave in order to follow him? Because Jesus, when you read the scriptures, this is what's troubling for many people because they they fall in love with Jesus, but they don't read his words, and so they don't understand how much he asks of you. He says, you know what you need to do in order to follow me? You need to leave everything. What? Leave everything and gain everything. Leave nothing, leave some things, and gain nothing. But if you leave everything... You gain everything. Over and over, Jesus calls us to some pretty strong things. He says things like this in Luke chapter 4. He says, no one of you, you can turn to someone next to you and say, I think he's talking to you. I think he's talking to you here. No one of you can be my disciple who does not give up, get out, leave all of his own possessions. That's tough. What's he saying there? He said, you can't follow me unless you're willing to sign over ownership of everything you have. Your family, your friends, your resources, all of those things. It's acknowledging that God is God of everything, everything in your life. You're turning over ownership. He says things like this, and this is one of my favorite passages, and I've never spoken on it, in Mark chapter 10. Because one of his followers, Peter, speaks up and he says, God, we've given you everything. And I love Jesus' response. Here's how Peter says it. And it's not surprising Peter spoke first. He's the extrovert in the group. And he says, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where somebody is keeping score? And they can tell you what they've given up to, you know, to be in a relationship with you? Uh, You know, like, I I gave up so much to be in a relationship with my wife, Shelly. I did. I did. You know, before Shelly, you know when I came home? Whenever I wanted. What did I watch on TV? Whatever I wanted. What did I eat? 
what I wanted. I, I, had, I had a good thing going, and I had to give it all up. And friends, when you start putting the accent on what you're losing, you'll never see what you're gaining. People do this in marriage relationships, all kinds of relationships. So they take score, and they always do it inevitably in a way that makes them look good. And the person next to them, not as giving. This is the way we do life. Peter's doing the same thing. Lord, we gave up everything to follow you, and I love Jesus' response. Yes. Yes, you did. And I've never spoken on this, but this is so powerful. These are the words of Jesus. And he replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up, left, uh, gotten out of, house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the gospel, the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. I said in the first service, I wish we had a little whiteout to to get rid of that. And if you're younger, whiteout was this liquid stuff that we used when when we had typewriters going. And and I used that, but now you have a delete button. So I I wish we had a delete button because we could, I like all this, not so much this, right? And he goes on to say this, and in the world to come, this is the something that's bigger and better, in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Eternal life. What an incredible promise, friends. He says, whatever you give up for the gospel, whatever you give forsake, whatever you leave behind, whatever you do, listen, you're going to receive a hundred times more in this life and the life to come. And friends, you know what I've discovered about me? It's probably the same of you. We're incredibly sentimental about the past. I have trouble letting go. I have a lot of trouble of giving up. I struggle with it. You're probably like me. You know, one author in reflecting on this verse said this, and I think it's so true. I think we're afraid, and I think we become people that want to negotiate the cost, not count the cost. You see, we're willing to give up things to follow Jesus, but we're not willing to give up the right to decide what things we're going to give up to follow Jesus. Yet when we follow Jesus, Jesus says, get out. Abraham, get out. Jonathan, get out. Get out of what? Get out of your plan and get in on God's plan. Get out of your old ethic around money and sex and power and justice and get in on God's ethic around money, power, and sex and justice. Shift ownership from you to God of everything you have. Get out of your old patterns of thinking and doing. I mean, this is hard stuff. Jesus doesn't call us the easy stuff. He calls us the hard stuff. In other words, get out of your past so you can lay hold of your future. So many people are living so much in their past, they can never embrace the future. You know why? I think for many of us, we end up smuggling our past into our future. We smuggle it in. We hide it. We even hide it from ourselves. But it comes out in our attitudes comes out in our behaviors, comes out in our desires. We've smuggled the past into the future, not understanding we can't lay hold of the bigger and better while we're holding on to what was. Uh, The Apostle Paul said it so well. He was 
talking to a group of new Christians and he's trying to help them understand this. And he doesn't use the word get out or leave. He uses the word put off. Put off. And he says this, put off all your lies. All those falsehoods. Some of the things, that those are things we believe that are lies and we've held on to them into our future and we've smuggled them in. Or sometimes it's the activity of lying and falsehood that we perpetuate. And often when we lie, friends, I notice of this of me, it's probably true of you. When we lie, it's often not direct, it's nuanced. We exaggerate all the time. We exaggerate things and really what we're doing is lying about it. And he says, put that stuff off. Yeah, another thing he says is, put off your anger. You angry? No, when you smuggle it into your future as a follower of Jesus, you cloak your anger. You cloak your anger as being, uh, you know, grieved. Grieved. Troubled. But, but you're angry. And he says, put that off. He says, put off any sort of talk that doesn't encourage or build up. Don't do it. He says, take a clean break from cutting others or backbiting. He says, to put off immorality. He says a lot of stuff to leave and let go of. And I know this, it takes a lot of courage to do this in our lives. A tremendous amount of strength. Where do you find the strength to get out and leave like that? Genesis chapter 12 is where the story of Abraham and God first started. And it was there that Abraham developed a vision for something bigger and better that was ahead. Hear the words. He starts shooting for the stars in this. God says this to Abraham. You know, how would this feel for God to show up in your life and say these words to you? I will make you into a great nation. Wow, okay. And I will bless you. More of that, Lord. I like that. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, it says in verses 2 and 4, he got out, he left, as the Lord had told him. Abraham had this vision of a bigger and better future, and it captivated him. Just like my friend Rory. He had something bigger and better he was looking at, and he was prepared to pay the price in this moment. He knew it would be hard to follow through on this. It's hard to let go. It's hard to move on. It was hard for Abraham to leave his family, his friends, his country. Now, some of you have done precisely this. You can relate to Abraham because you left to come to Canada. But you have FaceTime and Skype. Abraham was leaving and it was adios. He wasn't returning. There was a finality. There's a great cost to this. Friends, we need to focus. And if we're not careful, we'll be focused on what we're giving up instead of what we're gaining. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus reminds those who are following him, do you understand what you're gaining? I understand you've given up things. You need to give up things. You need to leave things in order to follow after Jesus. But do you understand what you're gaining? Because when you follow Jesus you, in this life, you get blessings not only in this life, you get blessings in the life to come. He promises that. He says, if you give up anything for Christ, if you give up anything for the gospel in this life, he says, he'll bless you. And he says, a hundred times. hundred times over. Listen, if I could promise you a hundred percent return on investment, how many would rush the stage to get it? 
there are some very poor financial managers in this house because I'd be right next to me right now. And Jesus says, I'll give you a 10,000% return. A 10,000% return. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've left everything behind, if you've left everything behind, you have an embarrassment of riches. A follower of Jesus, a devoted follower of Jesus is grossly overpaid. Extravagantly overpaid. But if you're always looking at what you left behind, you're always going to feel cheated. You're always going to feel like, where is it? Instead of looking forward and looking at what God has given you, what have you gotten? You've gotten somebody that will never leave you or forsake you. You've got a friend that will stick closer than the closest brother. You've got an ever-present help in time of need. You've got one that will guide you through the valley of the shadow of death that will hold your hand from this life to the next. You've got one that has promised you eternity. You have one that has promised to clean your conscience out and restore you and forgive you and bring you peace that passes all understanding. Everything this world clamors to get God has it for you in Christ Jesus. You've been given an embarrassment of riches. You are grossly overpaid as a follower of Jesus. You are rich indeed and in principle and in promise. And Jesus delivers on those promises. He delivers on those promises. And it takes trust and faith. That's what changes our perspective. God's plan. God's way. Here's the challenge for me, maybe for you. We live in this world and we learn to love it. And good. There's good things to love in this world. But we think this world is the prize. Friends, have you gone to a concert and there's always an opening band? Ever gone to a concert? And the opening band, have you ever noticed they're never as good as the band, the feature band, right? They make sure of that. They don't have all the lights that the feature band has. They're not as talented as the feature artist might be. And that's on purpose. They don't want you too wowed with the opening act that the, the headliner gets out there and you're like, <sighs> no, friends, like this world, as good as it is, it's like a bad opening act for the world that's yet to come. When we experience the fullness of what it means to be restored and the fullness of God's presence, Wow. And some of us need to get a vision for something bigger and better. And when you do, friends, all of a sudden, when you face rejection, when you suffer, when you have some moments of ridicule, when you have moments in this life which are hard and I don't minimize, where you have to trust God for your daily bread. Most of us in this room, we don't. We don't have to trust God with it. You've got some resources that you can go out and have lunch after this. Some people are trusting God for their daily bread. And if you're even in this place, you always know this. We have this greater joy. This greater joy that these light and momentary troubles, as Paul calls them, that's exactly what they are. They are light and momentary. They're running stairs. They're running laps. Oh, they're hard. I don't minimize them. That's why he gives us the body of Christ to encourage us through them. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit to lift us through them. But friends, they are light and momentary problems going towards a greater future and a greater reward that's yet to come. You see, when you look, When you know you're a part of something bigger and better, a bigger and better future, you'll find courage to live different in your smaller and and more challenging present. When you know you're a part of something bigger and better, you'll find the courage, the strength to be different, to keep zagging when everyone else is zigging in the culture. You'll have the courage to do that even with 
momentary, present, challenging moments in our lives. You'll find that strength. That was just the first encounter that God had with Abraham. And he says, get out, leave, get out. And Jesus says the same to us. But then he goes on and he says this in the chapter we just read. He'd say, Abraham, grow up. Now, Jesus always asks hard things, right? Get out, grow up. Grow into a mighty nation. Become the nation that one will come from that will redeem and bless all the nations of this world. The Messiah would come from him. From this big promise, Abraham knew two things. If he was going to be a mighty nation, he'd need to have a kid. He had no children. He needed a son in order to be a mighty nation, right? And he knew this. In order to be a mighty nation, they would need a land. You need a place to call home. What kind of nation is there without land? So he needed a son and he needed a land. And in Genesis 15, he says to God, will I have a child? Will I have a land? And God says, yes. But if you look carefully at the text, he says, yes, you and your descendants. Your descendants will. Here's what's interesting. Abraham never owned land. At the end of his life, he owned a little plot that he bought for burial of his wife and himself. He never owned a land. He never did. Instead, he never got any of that land. And so when God says, get out, I will give you a land. Well, not, not exactly you, your descendants. 400 years later, God gave his descendants the land. This is one of the things I love about Abraham. This is one of the challenging things for anyone who's a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a great, great responsibility. And I don't want that to be lost on you. I'm not going to minimize the weight of the responsibility that you and I have as followers of Jesus. One of the weighty things that we have is we need to build on everything that everyone before us has done. We need to build on what they have been building for centuries in the body, in the kingdom of God, and then we need to build forward into the future generations. Quite a responsibility, friends. I feel that way as I should. I have the two predecessors of mine in this church, Stuart Mulligan and Keith Smith. I'm trying to build off of what they have done and I'm responsible to pass it on to someone, hopefully stronger, healthier, reaching more people, just as God would command us to do. Friends, that responsibility is so weighty on us to pass on faith, to pass on faith to future generations, to pass on faith to the people around us, to pass on faith to those in society and culture that we interact with. It's quite a weight of responsibility that you and I have. That this is not for us. This is for others. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. Before we experience it, it's all about us. After we experience it, it becomes all about others. That's why we major on the mission and the message and not the methods. That's why we do that. Because we can't lose our anchor. We can't lose our focal piece there. So in Genesis chapter 17, God's promised, you're going to be a great nation in Genesis 12. In the 17th chapter, God, Abraham comes to God and he says, God, you remember that promise you made about a great nation that I have a kid? It's been 25 years now. Anyone been waiting on God for 25 years? 
God, I'm 99, and my wife is 90. Houston, we have a problem. God, am I going to have children? Is this going to happen? And the Lord says, and? Just wait. (laughs) I thought I'd been doing that, God. And then you know the story. If you know the story, God gives him a son. His name is Isaac. And then he says, take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him to me. I mean, it's incredible. This is where we see the guts of Abraham. This is where we see what sets him apart from so many people. God and he have all of these interactions like this. God says, I'm going to send you out. Abraham says, where? I'll tell you later. Just go. God, I'd like some more details. (laughs) You know, just give me the Google coordinates and I'll go there. Then God says things like this. God says, I'll give you a land. Where? I'll tell you later. Just wander. And then God says, I'll give you a child. Abraham says, how? I'll tell you later. Just wait. Then God says, Abraham, sacrifice your child. Why? I'll tell you later. Walk up the mountain. This is what sets him apart. This is why he's a hero to so many people. You know, when they surveyed young adults about characters in the Bible, Abraham was the number one figure that young adults loved. It's this kind of gritty living. It's this type of trust. And every time in these major moments, Abraham triumphed. If you know his life, though, and you read his life, he was an imperfect man. He made some bad decisions. He did some bad and yet weak character at moments. There are moments where you, you, you know, you're embarrassed of this guy. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible shows us people warts and all. It doesn't try to flower it up. doesn't try to make them more pristine. In fact, they end up looking a lot like us. A lot like us. Not the Sunday morning version of us, but the, the real version of us. Right? And here's Abraham. And he has this moment, and in these difficult junctures and moments in his life, he continues to zag when it would have been easier to zig. It just would have been easier. Where did Abraham get this courage? See, when you read his life, you quickly realize that circumstances didn't master Abraham. He mastered them. Life didn't push him around. He pushed life around. It's as if he knew that when, when you know you're a part of a bigger and better future. You'll find the courage to be different in your smaller and more challenging present. And he lived that way. He lived that way. How can you and I be like Abraham? Well, in Genesis 15, verse 6, here's the secret. The secret is simply this. And Abraham believed the Lord. Here's what separates people, even as followers of Jesus. Abraham believed the Lord. A lot of people believe in the Lord, but they don't believe the Lord. There's a massive difference between believing in God and believing God. He believed the Lord even when his circumstances looked like nothing like what God had said. He believed the Lord when he was experiencing something very different than what God had promised him. See, friends, you can believe in the Lord and not believe the Lord. I think this is why so many of us live difficult lives as followers of Jesus. uh, True of me. I think often we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe Jesus. Friends, I struggle with this. 
I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he came to earth, he was born of a virgin, that he lived this perfect life. They killed him. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He kicked death in the teeth. He rose from the grave. He conquered hell in that moment and sin and the grip it had on all of humankind. He did that. And now he ascended to the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. I believe that, friends. I believe in Jesus. But I so often don't believe Jesus. When he says things like this, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. But above your ambition, above the people that you love in this world, above little Johnny that is your child and you care about them, that's awesome, that's wonderful. Above all of your, your desires for things in this world and life, seek his kingdom above all else, above your career, above all of your ambitions, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, live with a different ethic, live with a different moral, live with differently with your money, live differently in the way you live your life. And then Jesus says this, and he will give you, can you say it with me? Everything you need. One more time. Everything you need. Now say it like you might even believe it. Everything you need. And on Sunday morning, I believe that. And then things go wrong in my life. And I'm praying. And I don't see that. And I don't believe Jesus. I start trying to make things happen. I'm going to take control of the situation. You know, I'm at, at work or you're, you, you know, your child's in the school system and, and, and instead of praying about it and leaving things with God, no, you're going to make things happen. You're going to change things. And you start to turn into a version of yourself that you're, you're a little upset with because you realize you're becoming an angry person. You're becoming something that was less than the kingdom intended. And it's because, why? We don't really believe we can trust Jesus with this stuff. We can't pray and leave it with him. No, no, no. You can't trust Jesus. See, friends, too often what is inconsistent in our lives and the dissonance that we live in in the act of faith is we come to gatherings like this. We tune in online because we believe in Jesus, or at least we're seeking Jesus, which is both are amazing. You need to believe in Jesus in order to believe him. But sometimes the gap that exists between believing in him and believing Jesus is so great and that dissonance is so hard. And Abraham is a hero because he learned to manage it. He learned to live life in what I call the divine delay. The gap between what God promised and what you're experiencing and that gap in between, he mastered living life there. The divine delay. These are the moments where you don't think God has your back. When you wonder, maybe even out loud, is God for you? Where you're doing the right things and not the right things in your opinion are not happening. That's the gap, the moment that we live in, the divine delays. This is the place where faith grows. See, there's a gift in the gap. There really is. It doesn't feel like a gift. If you're going through something right now, you want to throw something at me right now because you're like, Jonathan, it is not a gift what I'm going through. I get it. I, I'm, not, I'm just like you, just like you. But here's the treasure right in that dark place. You can grow faith like you'll never grow when you're outside of that. You'll never grow faith 
on top of that mountain. You will grow faith in that valley. This is where you believe like Abraham did. You believe God despite what you're seeing. Let me think of it, let you think of it this way. Uh, do you remember when you were a kid? You know, uh, depending on the home you grew up in. But, you know, I was blessed to have two parents that cared about us. They were not perfect, but they cared for us. So home felt safe. So home felt safe. You know those moments when, as a child is young, when they can hear mom's voice or dad's voice or see them, they're free and they're filled with joy. But if they can't see mom or they can't hear mom or dad, the anxiety and fear begins to come up in them. And you know, at night, when you have a nightmare, what do you, what do you try to do as a kid? You try to get into your mom and dad's bed. <laughs> or you want them to get into your bed. Why? It's illogical, because they could lay between mom and dad, but they're in the same darkness they were in their room. They're in the same house that they were having the nightmare in, but everything is better. Part of maturing and growing up is learning to trust and feel unafraid even when you can't see or hear your parents. It's part of growing up. Abraham, grow up. Jonathan, grow up. That even when I don't see or hear, I trust. It's just part of how we do it. You know, when when I was uh, 18 or 19, I forget, uh, it's just a couple of years ago, and I was... was, uh, working in eastern Canada, and I was working and uh, in doing canoe instructing. And I'd done all this training on canoeing and taking my levels in it, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of work. But I learned some secrets there because uh, we would often be canoeing in the open uh, Atlantic area, so in bays that would lead into the ocean. And it's rough water there. And I learned some things. If you're going to navigate rough water or when it's dark outside, you better have a fixed point on the shore. If you do not have a fixed point... You're all over the place. You're likely to end up in a place you don't want to be. Friends, if you're going through those places of darkness in the divine delay, where you're not seeing yet what God promised you, make sure you have a fixed point because you will exude a lot of energy all over the place and you'll end up somewhere you never thought you would. You need a fixed point to get through it. But I also learned this. And when, it's the, when the sun is beautiful, and it's great, and you're fishing, and you're, see, you're in a season of bounty and blessing, and so many good things are happening, you better have an anchor. Because I know this, the canoe, the tides in the East Coast pull you out to the ocean always. They're always pulling at you. And if you don't have an anchor, while you're enjoying life, you drift. And you end up drifting often into places that are dangerous when you're in the ocean. You need an anchor and you need a fixed point. Friends, we live in a culture that is constantly pulling at you, whether you know it or not. The mindset of the culture is to shape you into its image. And we have a tendency to drift towards it. When we're going through hardship, if we don't have a fixed point, we allow the culture to somehow impact us and shape us, even in the middle of that hardship. And we become people driven by fears and anxieties and all kinds of things that are toxic in our lives. But if you're in a season that's great and you think, I don't need God, you're drifting. You don't have your anchor in. And the anchor is what keeps us aligned to God and into that bigger and better future he has ahead for you and I. How do you zag in this culture when everyone else is zigging? Well, remember, friends, when you know 
Oh, back again. When you know you're a part of a bigger and better future, you'll find courage to be different in your smaller and more challenging present. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. If God has given both his promise and his oath, pretty strong, friends. These two things are unchangeable, and I want you to hear this, friends, because it is impossible for God to lie. Maybe say that out loud with me. It is impossible for God to lie. One more time, because some of us need to hear it and feel it. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, aren't you glad you can come to him in times of need? Can have a great confidence as we hold to this hope that lies before us. The hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Friends, you can trust God. In the divine delays, in those moments, you can trust God enough to get out and leave behind and put off the old patterns and things that you used to do and think, don't smuggle into your future. Don't smuggle your past into your future. What lies from your past are you living today? You know, what are they the lies that you believe that if you do this, you're going to get that? Is it those type of lies or is it the lies that people have spoken over your lives about who you are and what you are? And they're filled with lies. They're filthy lies, but you've smuggled them into your future. So, you know, you know they're not true, but you're living like they're true. Is it the lie that, that you were made for small things and you're, you're, you're made to be insignificant and, and you're living up to that lie right now? Even though God has called you to be a child of his? that he has placed inside of you eternity, that he has made you a part of a family, that he has a plan for your life. He has greatness in our lives for each of us. And greatness doesn't always mean grandeur. Greatness is faithfulness. It is faithful. He gives us the power and the strength to be faithful in those moments in lives where, like, where, where Abraham was, where it'd be easier to, to zig than to zag. And he gives you that strength and ever-present health. Friends, you're a part of something. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of a bigger and better future. Live like it. Be courageous in this life. Be courageous enough to zag while the culture is zigging. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, God, you, you know everyone in this room and you know everyone online listening to this right now. God, you know what we've dragged into our future. You know what we've been smuggling from our past into our future. And God, I know even your Holy Spirit's identified things in each of our lives right now that we're to put off, to get out of, to leave. And God, it requires such courage to do that. And God, we confess we're not strong enough without your Holy Spirit. But God, you didn't leave us alone. Jesus, you didn't leave us alone when you ascended to your Father in heaven. You, you left a comforter with us. You left a, an encourager with us. You left a coach with us. Your Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, if there are things in our lives that we should let go of and leave and get out of and put off, we pray for the gift of some conviction a conviction that will lead us to a place of repentance and change. So God, Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Friends, you got something? Something you need to let go of? 
get out of? Jesus says, leave everything to follow me. I'm going to invite you to just say that, whatever that thing is right now that you've been smuggling into your future from your past. Just say it. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. We say, Father, we confess. We've been holding on to this. And today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we're going to be courageous enough to leave it behind, (laughs) to let it go, to put it off, to give it up. (laughs) God, we want your plan and your family to be a part of our lives. God, we know in moments, just like Abraham doubted, you've given us, though, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the body of believers to encourage us in the middle of our doubt. So we lean into this church community and we lean into your presence to help us, God. Lord, we want to grow up so that in those moments we don't feel you, see you, or hear you. We believe you. God, we believe in you, but Jesus, we say today, we believe you. We believe you. When you said you would give us everything we need, we believe you, God. We believe you. You've been faithful and true, and that's what your promises are. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.